This is Give Me Some Truth, a podcast from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. Nate, it's been a little bit of time since the two of us were on the mic, I feel like. Maybe. Well, we've got a lot of guests. Well, the weather's the same because <laughs> the weather never changes. So <laughs> we're broadcasting from Seattle. I mean, Portland. I mean, Vancouver. I mean, wherever it is that it always rains and never is sunny. So, you know, we're a little bit bitter about that, which is fine. I think it kind of dovetails into a little bit of the topic that we have because I feel like we revisit this every once in a while and it's always good to revisit it. Uh, which is the topic of, of permanent life insurance and whole life insurance. And I just feel like we've seen a bit of an uptick of people looking into it again. And one thing that stoked uh, what we're looking at was really the fact that we looked at an old video that we did when we first opened the firm. So this is like seven years ago. And we got Green Clock Films to shoot it. And it was our first kind of high budget video. Shout out to Zach Nye. That's right. And then we got this guy with slick back hair, and we wrote a script. Professional actor. Yes. Professional actor in, in, the, in the video. And it was awesome. It was so much fun to shoot that thing. And I took a look one day, and I saw our old logo on it and our old office, and this guy pops up again, and we just said, look, we got to redo this. So we did. And for those of you that are listening to this podcast, I mean, please go check it out because it's wonderful. It's a minute and a half. It's a commercial. We poke fun at the industry. And it's never been more true as it had had been seven years ago. The message is still the exact same. Yeah, and that's the scary part is that we could and, and, and we could almost force or uh, look into the future and think that we could refreshen it up or, or uh, reshoot it seven years from now and it would still be applicable. Yeah, I, I don't know what you scary. feel about it, but I feel like the uh, the industry as a whole for us is dressing down a little bit more. Things are more comfortable, more casual. It's not so top down anymore. And maybe it's because we're becoming that and maybe the industry is doing that. Maybe it's not, but I just see the industry getting a little more relaxed on the asset management side and the financial planning side and being more collaborative. And then I see this other side and the insurance side is almost getting more buttoned up and more slick and more, flashy suits and all of this like almost an old school sort of feel where i thought in the past you had the exact opposite i thought the asset managers were buttoned up they were in the three-piece suits they were all top down talking down to people and it was kind of the the insurance people were the people with the more casual attire and i think some of it you know more humorous too you know they had like the short sleeve dress shirts and stuff like that on and they were more of the the sales people and i i don't feel like we're sales people but i do feel like the attire has kind of flipped a bit yeah and i think some of this is predicated upon um uh the big a big ruling in our industry that that was supposed to happen that didn't happen that was going to happen and then it didn't materialize and it was going to and then it didn't um which is the idea that um fiduciary and 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 that standard of doing what's in the client's best interest was going to get kind of pushed into the industry as as a uh, um you know kind of forcing the the advisors that weren't doing that to eat their vegetables kind of thing and lo and behold it, it didn't actually get put into the industry unfortunately and that's one thing that bothers clint and i we we were um advocates that it be implemented in the industry and it wasn't 
However, uh, the industry, it, it got far enough along the path, if you will, from a legislation standpoint, from Washington, D.C. standpoint, that a lot of big, big firms kind of prepared for the fact that it was going to happen and got past the point where they were going to turn back just because it didn't. And so they've, they've implemented these changes in regard to products being sold and commissionable products. And so there's almost kind of an interesting divergence within the industry right now where uh, a lot of the firms that aren't pure RIAs like our firm is, um, they've had their product uh, menu, uh, I guess if you, if you want to call it that, uh, truncated. And it's almost been concentrated now where you start to see more sales in certain areas because the menu of what's um, available to be sold uh, is less. Yeah, and, and I think the fees, the commissions have been kind of levelized uh, for some of these annuity products and other mm-hmm. things, which is kind of what you're you're insinuating that you know, the the annuity products, and then from the insurance side, it's still kind of the wild west. Yeah, and there isn't that uniform fiduciary standard out there at all, and there never really has been. And this whole push with the Department of Labor was really a focus on investment companies, and I think it was kind of a misguided legislative attempt at trying to gather up the whole industry, but really the insurance industry was absolved from responsibility largely in that legislation as well because of the way that they were trying to get it passed. Because it wasn't going to get passed through Congress, who was more of a uh, a sort of, it was kind of a executive order sort of Department of Labor. Yeah, it was kind of like, yeah. yeah, it was a regulatory body that was just sending extra regulation down through the system and so it had to be done in a certain way so it had teeth but it didn't necessarily like wrap around the entire industry which Mm -hmm. was which was kind of an interesting way that they were able to do it but it had enough teeth and enough leverage where the firms uh, were required or if they were smart they were required to um kind of figure out how they were going to react to it but you're right the insurance companies were more or less um I don't want to say outside of that, but they, did, they didn't necessarily have to react the same way. And so what kind of got cut out of the middle in, 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 uh, in all intent and purposes was your typical commissionable mutual fund salesperson kind of got cut out. Yeah. Or, or the, that's now. where kind of the divide happened, yeah. right? And so the kind of the money managers and the financial advisors kind of went their way. And then the insurance people kind of stayed on their path. So you kind of have this almost this gulf in the middle. Um, and I think that's where the industry is right now. And, and whole life sales are... Are right there. They're yeah. just they're they're bread still and butter around. as always. Bread and butter. Because, yeah. you know, as the saying goes there, you've got to in order to build your house, you've got to you've got to have a nice foundation of your house. And you know, you love your family, Nate, don't you? Right. So we need to go sure. out and build that foundation. Yes. And in that foundation there, we've got to make sure that we build it first with this whole life insurance. You know, yeah, you should have an emergency fund or yeah, maybe you should save a little bit in your four one K, but really Really, whole life is at the core of your right. life, right? And that's where the epicenter of your whole financial plan should be based is around this whole life insurance that, lo and behold, pays agents fairly well, and your company tells you to sell uh, so right. that you can go on some sort of trip, right? Yeah, it's hard to almost have this little uh, this uh, our town type. Uh, performance we just did in the last 30 seconds without laughing but unfortunately that happens literally it's probably happening right now this hour in somebody's living room or kitchen with with uh, an agent from some life insurance company and it's not that. at somebody's uh office no right? like it's like not our office. office it's, at, it's no. around the kitchen table sure. as the Drinking cats a cup of coffee over their yeah. legs in their wearing their nice suit now because that's what happens. happens and so we see it and it's unfortunate because um 
listen, uh, it's applicable in spots. It's not a bad product inherently. We're not saying it's a bad product. We're not saying you shouldn't have, you know, whole life insurance. What we're saying is it has to be appropriate for you and your financial situation. And it has to be positioned in such a way where it makes sense, right? It's, it's again, it's same idea of, you know, it's, it's the, the appropriate tool for the job. Uh, but unfortunately, boy, it's the first tool that gets taken out of the toolbox in a lot of conversations when really it's kind of a highly specialized, highly specific type product that should only be placed in, in um, the spots where it really, really makes sense. And that's after a fair amount of vetting that your situation is one of those where it, it makes sense. You know, I think that uh, they always use the Swiss, Swiss Army knife analogy. Like, it's okay to use whole life for a variety of different ways. There's myriad ways that you can use this product. And one of those ways is that you get life insurance first and foremost. We, we agree upon, like, if you're going to buy whole life insurance, you should intend to keep it for your whole life, have it be a legacy situation, and then you have some sort of permanent life insurance coverage in force so when you pass away, some of that money grows tax-free. Now, simply put, that's probably the best way to buy that sort of insurance. And I could make a compelling case as to why you should consider owning that sort of insurance. But now it's the sort of Swiss Army knife thing that gets people into trouble because, oh, well, you know, you can use it for college planning or retirement planning by taking loans, essentially, uh, out of your policy and you can use it for all this different stuff. And then you can just repay back the loan or don't even repay back the loan and just let that loan run and expire. And what it isn't is a great vehicle for uh, long-term investing because there is a cost to that. And that cost is your, your cost between what the loan is charged you and what they're crediting you. And oftentimes that's three or 4%. Um, so you're, you're essentially borrowing the money back to yourself and charging yourself interest on it. So for an example, you know, the insurance company might give you a 5% rate of return in your whole life policy, but your loan provision might be eight. So you're actually losing 3% in a loan amount. And what the insurance salesperson might tell you is, well, that's cheap debt. It's only costing you 3%. But if you contrast that with say an investment account where you did a loan, say you made 5% in your investment account, and then you took out a loan. Maybe your loan's at 4 or 5% if you got a loan from a bank. Maybe it's even 6% if it's a student loan. But you're still earning 5% on that. So it, the spread there is likely to be smaller. And you have more flexibility in how you can use your cash as well. And you don't have to pay it back to yourself in that example of, of a loan in the insurance company. So these insurance companies do very well for themselves. They never lose. Well, that's okay. So if, if you listen to the last five minutes of that and if – if that sounded uh, confusing, if that sounded complicated, if that sounded um, like you weren't 100% sure how Clint was laying that out, that's exactly the point. In other words, the longer we do our jobs, the longer we're in this industry and the longer we work with clients, the more and more and more we realize that if you can't explain as an advisor a product or a strategy or a solution for a client, literally if you cannot explain it top to bottom in three, maybe four sentences, and have the client go, yeah, I got that. You got to be very careful about what you're buying. So that complexity just breeds. It should breed, I should say. Complexity should breed um, you know, skepticism in your mind. You you should be when you when you have to have something explained three or four different ways, and it has to be positioned in such a way where where there's almost a hey, kind of trust me. I'm I know what's best for you. 
uh, boy, you better be very, very careful with that, with, with what comes after uh, that part of the conversation because it's likely to be a sales pitch of some kind and it's likely to involve a fair amount of sentimental talk about foundation and family and things like that. And boy, if you get into that conversation with, with an advisor, you better be very, very careful about um, doing something like that without getting a second opinion. I would say that whole life insurance is kind of like eating with a spork. <laughs> what was the last time you ate with a spork? You mean beyond elementary school? <laughs> right, right, right. I feel like we were in the beginning of the spork era. Right. And since then, no one's ever liked using a spork. No, because it's, the, it's, it's exactly the point. You take any of these like kind of two ideas and you jam them together, especially when it comes to like tools or or um, you know things to be able to to kind of serve a task, it just it never works. This idea that you can kind of take these multiple ideas, these multiple products, and jam them together into one product, and therefore you'll get you know one plus one equals three. You don't get one plus one equals three. You get one plus one equals maybe one and a half if you're lucky. You look at the myriad of kind of combination products that are out there. And it, it's just, it, it doesn't work the way that the two independent products would work if you just bought them independently and used them independently. So that's, that's kind of where it all comes from is this idea of taking an insurance product and then hanging protection and investment and liquidity and tax advantage, hanging all of the stuff off the same product. It just, there are areas where you, you are not being told the negative. You're being told the positive five times over, and you're never once being told the negative of it. If we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times with our clients. If something has a good, it also has a bad. If you're not hearing about the bad, it's not because it doesn't exist. It's because somebody's not explaining it to you. The good of this is this. The, the bad of this is this. That's how that conversation should go. And if you ask the advisor when you're being, uh, or the, the, the salesperson, let's be honest, in that scenario, what's the bad of this product? And they don't give you a legitimate bad. They are hiding something. That's exactly right. And they happen to be high commission products, which you know should obviously give you pause to start with. And it takes you a long time to make up the commissions in those products. And let me jump in on that. That's a great point. Don't ever, ever think that that's an inappropriate question to ask an advisor in any scenario. What am I being charged on this? And what are you specifically making on this? And what is your company making on this? Those are absolutely appropriate. And you should never, ever, ever feel bad about asking that question. If you come in and see us, we will 100% tell you what we're charging you, what portion of it we get, and what portion of it, well, the company doesn't, I mean, TD Ameritrade, we don't have an overarching company in that way because we're independent. Ask those questions. Those are appropriate. So let's, uh, we did a blog post on this, uh, and it was five things you really should do before uh, you consider buying whole life insurance. And we actually gave a kicker of an extra one. So there's actually six in there. So um, you can go and read that yourselves. But Nate and I will just flesh out a couple of them we think are particularly important. So say, say we are of the mindset. We met with a client and said, hey, look, you know, maybe we want to consider whole life insurance. But here are some things that we definitely want to, boxes we want to check before we do that. So first and foremost, we want to have an emergency fund. That's, you know, pretty obvious. But uh, a whole life insurance contract uh, or any sort of long-term investment vehicle is long-term for a reason, and you may have liquidity problems if you try to get out of a 401k earlier, if you try to get out of your whole life policy early or something like that. So we need an emergency fund first and foremost. That's an obvious one. The other one, Nate, uh, I would say that you know funding up to your match in your 401k is, is pretty obvious as well. 
Well, right. It's free money on the table if you're not getting it. So again, what we're going through here is kind of a, a normal progression or what we would hope would be a normal progression of what an advisor would take you through in terms of the check boxes that you should have and how you should fill up these buckets. Our industry is absolutely not and never will be, unfortunately, uh, lacking for buckets that you can pour money into because there's product on top of product on top of product. But there is a kind of agreed upon or a uh, the empirical data shows us that we fill up these buckets first and then we move on to these and then we move on to these. So this is what we're talking about is the progression of how you fill up your buckets. Emergency fund, if anybody tells you that shouldn't be first, you should run. And the second one is, again, if you're getting a match offered at your company and you're not putting enough money in to get the full match, you're literally leaving free money on the table. So those have to be one and two. And then number three then would be, you know, really addressing that, debt that you have there. And, and, you know, if credit card debt is, is extreme or whatever, you may have to do that, you know, in concert with doing the emergency fund and maybe even in lieu of not doing the 401k contribution. But, uh, let's just say that you have your debt uh, pretty well in check. You could have student loans and you'd want to plan out how you want to pay down, you know, some of those other debts as well as part of the progression of where you're saving your assets. Um, I would argue you'd probably want to take your, your match from your employer and put that to work. Uh, before you start aggressively paying down your student loan debts, we get that a lot with young people. You know, should I pay that or should I get my match? Well, if you're going to stay at your company and get your uh, vested, if you're going to become vested, you really should uh, take advantage of that match um, and then pay down that higher interest uh, debt. And then from there, I think you've got a lot of flexibility as far as you could go back to your 401k or consider the Roth side of your 401k, or you could open a Roth IRA if you wanted to consider something that's a little bit more liquid and a little bit more flexible in investment choice. And let's be clear on this too. We're not saying that you should do all of these things before you have life insurance family, or excuse me, life insurance protection for your family. What we're saying is you can buy life insurance products to protect your family that are a more or less a single purpose product, which is really designed to do one thing and one thing only. And because it is designed that way. It's it's simple and it's straightforward and it and it works, uh, which would be term life insurance. You can you should absolutely be getting that in in conjunction with the emergency fund and, and these other things we're talking about. So we're not saying you shouldn't have life insurance for your family. What we are saying is that there are ways to be able to check that box early on in your financial planning uh, journey without having to have it uh, um, include a permanent life insurance. Uh, or an investment component to the life insurance. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great point. Um, we definitely need to have that coverage. So if we're talking about we've got an emergency fund done, we've got our credit cards uh, paid off, we've you know funded up to the match in the 401k, we've considered a Roth IRA and or funding more into our 401k up to potentially the maximum, which for an individual under 50 is $19,000 in 2019. And then where else? Well, you know, you might want to invest just in a taxable account for yourself. That's liquid and flexible. And, uh, you know, as long as you use tax efficient investments inside of there, which would be municipal bonds and, you know, look at some index funds as well or um, index ETFs uh, or ETFs in general. You know, you can tax manage those accounts much better than you could in the past. Uh, So, you know, you're not you're not joining a bunch of embedded capital gains or things like that that might be problematic. So taxable accounts aren't as bad as they once were to invest in as an alternative. And then maybe after all of that, maybe consider whole life insurance. I don't know. Maybe, you know, you can invest taxable account as much money into a taxable account as you want. So, you know, maybe you want to pay down more debt. Maybe you want to pay your house more aggressively. I just think that there's so many things that you could do to positively impact your financial plan that are better than 
um, a whole life contract. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to make a compelling argument to be in that unless you want that permanent life insurance again. That's, that's the only thing that you want. Yeah, I think it really comes down to understanding that um, a couple of things. One is that every family, I don't care if you're, if you're um, you know, making a small amount of money, making Warren Buffett type money, I don't care who you are, everybody has a finite amount of money coming into their household. That's just how the world works, okay? And so it, the question really becomes, what am I doing with my money? Um, and then what, if I do A with it, I have to understand that I can't do B at the same time, right? You can't be in two places at one time. And so what we have to always understand is that if we're going to fund one investment vehicle with $100 a month and that's all we have to save, we can't save $300 somewhere else, right? So if we're going to put the $100 in bucket A, we have to realize we're not going to be able to put it in bucket B or C at the same time. And so what you should always be asking yourself is, okay, if I'm going to make an investment and I'm going to put it in one spot, is this the best spot for me to be funding right now? And that's the question that doesn't get get answered um, often enough when, when somebody's placed in whole life insurance. The, what gets glossed over is the Roth IRA, the emergency fund, the max, or the, you know, the funding, the 401ks, those somewhat get glossed over. And then the uh, whole life insurance uh, contract gets placed first. And we don't, we don't ask ourselves then, okay, if I fund this, the whole life insurance policy, it's at, at the expense of what else? And that, that's unfortunately the, the question that people don't ask. So then uh, we'll end the uh, Give Me Some Truth episode with one last thing, which is my favorite part of the whole life meeting. Do you, remember, do you know what my favorite part of the whole life meeting is? Do you have a, can you venture a guess? Um, is it the wrap-up where they, where they uh, congratulate you for protecting your family? It's you're close. It is the wrap up where they ask you for three or four oh, there friends and family. <laughs> Can you tell me, Nate? Who else should I be talking? Who else to? should I be talking to? Because that it's might very from this to me that their families are also protected. I know you have friends and family and loved ones that you would like to help protect and make sure that their future is in hand. Nate, can you give me those? And you're like, no, I don't want it. I realize that I've, I've done this podcast today with one foot on a, firmly on the soapbox and the other one teetering on the edge of the soapbox, but I'm going to just rant on this for a little while too. If anybody asks you to write down three names of your friends or family members that they can contact, run away from that advisor immediately. Do not do business with that person. This is not 1975, people. This is not how business should be done. It shouldn't have been done that way in 1975. That didn't even make it right. But we've evolved from then. Don't work with advisors that ask you things like that. That is just a horrible, hacky, uh, unprofessional way of doing business. And uh, there, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. There you go. You know, if you want to give a referral to somebody, you're going to get it because you do a good job. Yeah, give it because you want to give it as, as the client, not because your advisor is, is twisting your arm to give you a referral. That's how about be a, referable, right? How about do a good job and people will go, hey, maybe I want to tell my friends and family about this person. That's amazing. So I know it's, it's, it's groundbreaking stuff. Thank you for joining us this week on a special edition of Nate Connor Gets on a soap, Soapbox. Ranting. Give me some truth. <laughs> okay, join us next week. Thank you. Gotta leave your money behind you Raise your hand to the sky Ask the masses for silence Look them all dead in the eye
Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Boniwaz are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.